Doug Tyrrell, History and Comment is available on iTunes. Hello, friends. I'm Doug Tyrrell. This is History and Comment for Monday, the 15th of January, 2024. Elizabeth I is crowned Queen of England in 1559. She ruled for almost 45 years, a period that was rather stable, as England goes, but her ascension was anything but. She was the daughter of Henry VIII and his second wife, but Henry had her mother executed, and for a period of time, Elizabeth was declared illegitimate by authorities, including the Pope. This detail brings up an interesting point. Declaring something true after the fact. No one debated that Henry and Lady Boylan were happily married when Elizabeth was born. Elizabeth was preceded in the throne by a younger half-brother, Edward. He was nine when crowned and died at the age of 15. He had a succession plan, but that was ignored. The indomitable half-sister Mary will rule for a few years before Elizabeth. Recall Henry VIII had turned against the Pope. Edward was the first English monarch to be raised as a Protestant. Mary will be known as Bloody Mary for her vigorous efforts to restore the Catholic Church. Elizabeth will actually establish the predecessor to the Church of England. U.S. Superintendent of Finance Robert Morris recommends that the U.S. establish a national mint and decimal coinage. This is in 1782. English coinage has a long and detailed history. It descends from Frankish terms when Franks ruled on the continent in the 8th century and were heavy trading partners with the island nation. A penny was set at 12 and a half grains of silver, 12 pence made a shilling, and 20 shillings made a pound. In fact, a pound of fine silver. Since coins were in fact precious metals, their weight was always in question. We see this as far back as the days of Moses, when there was a standard shekel in the temple that was used as a reference. In English times, folks would shave small chips off of the edge. Enough small chips would equal actual money. The millings, or ridges on coins that we see today, are one effort to prevent this. Talk about inflation. 12.5 grains of silver is worth 60.7 cents today. So the United States decided to establish coinage where what we called a penny was one hundredth of a dollar. But not so fast. The U.S. does not have a penny. It's actually a one-cent piece. The term penny is a carryover to the English system. They shifted their values to the decimal system in 1971. The Confederacy is dying on this day in 1865. There is still some fighting to take place but the end is in sight, mostly because they can no longer continue the losses. The last major seaport falls on this day. Political cartoonist Thomas Nast gave American culture several icons from his graphical digs. In 1870, the Democrat Party is first symbolized as a donkey. The cartoon was published in Harper's Weekly. The donkey was referred to in more vulgar and derogatory terms and shown kicking a dead lion labeled as Edwin Stanton. But this needs a bit of history. Edwin Stanton had been Secretary of War during the Civil War and remained in the cabinet of President Andrew Johnson. Johnson was trying to hold to Lincoln's ideals for Reconstruction, 
but that was having problems, and Stanton, along with many in Congress, wanted to take a tougher stance. Stanton died a few weeks earlier, and it would appear that Southern interests were deriding his legacy. We might want to note that Lincoln's magnanimous desires were being met with violence and might have been overly idealistic. While I'm not so naive to believe that the Republican Party is the glorious savior of the nation, it should be clear that Democrats have never been the benevolent folks they claim to be. Their ends have always been nefarious. A predecessor to the Coca-Cola Company, the Pemberton Medicine Company, is incorporated in Atlanta in 1888. But the story is a very tangled web that may be due to John Pemberton's debilitated condition and need for money. He also wanted to take care of his family and son. Pemberton seems to have been well-intentioned, and the patent medicine business was extremely lucrative in the late 19th century. But the partnerships he had formed and interest he had sold off would keep a bevy of lawyers busy for years today. The tale is so complex, between December of 1885 and the formation of THE Coca-Cola Company in January of 1892, that author Mark Pendergast, in his definitive work, For God, Country, and Coca-Cola, drew a chain of title chart. It lists no less than five companies that held ownership in the rights to the now popular drink. Pemberton Medicine Company could not have owned more than a one-third interest. The single reason we have one company today may have been the outright audacity of Asa Candler. Candler's interest into the company is a bit cloudy, but it's certain by March of 1888. One story says that Candler approached Pemberton's family at the cemetery after his burial with an offer to buy the remaining interest in the drink. Pendergast does not make that claim. He does quote one of Candler's lawyers as saying, the level of maneuvering would be embarrassing. James Naismith publishes the rules of basketball in 1892, Naismith was instructing at the International YMCA Training School at the time. Today it's known as Springfield College in Springfield, Massachusetts. Naismith was a native of Canada and had studied at McGill University. He had also been a student of the YMCA school before becoming staff there. The students were becoming restless with being confined indoors. His supervisor gave him two weeks to invent an indoor game to occupy the students. But the ideas may have come from earlier thoughts at McGill. Safety was considered a factor, and hence the large, softer ball, and the goal above the heads of the players. But the first game did not rule out tackling and other roughness. In a later interview, he commented, the first game resulted in several black eyes, one separated shoulder, and one player being knocked unconscious. Nothing in his bio indicates that he played the Canadian national sport of hockey despite playing a number of sports. I contend the problem with basketball is goaltending is illegal. The Buffalo Bill Dam in Wyoming is completed in 1910. At the time, it was the highest dam in the world. It spans the North Fork of the Shoshone River and sets just west of Cody, Wyoming in the northwestern portion of the state. At 325 feet high, it's less than half the height of the Hoover Dam. Martin Luther King Jr. is born on this day in 1929. That's the reason you will not get mail today. King should be noted for his less militant stance in contrast to some who revere him today. The Pentagon Building is dedicated in 1943. 
Ground was broken on September 11, 1941. The size of the building cannot be grasped from photos and maybe not in person. It has 6.5 million square feet of floor space or 150 acres across seven floors and 17.5 miles of hallways. I almost got to the Pentagon on a trip to Washington, D.C. a few years ago. Actually, I took a wrong turn on the bridge between D.C. and Arlington. Ronnie Van Zant of Leonard Skinner was born on this day in 1948. The very first Super Bowl was held in Los Angeles in 1967. The Green Bay Packers defeat the Kansas City Chiefs 35-10. In total, Green Bay has won four Super Bowls and Kansas City three. If the Chiefs can win their next two games, they will be in the big game on February 11th. Green Bay is also two games away. 1973, President Nixon is pleased with negotiations in the peace talks and suspends offensive actions in North Vietnam. Actor Eddie Cahill is 46 today. Cahill played goalie Jim Craig in the film Miracle on Ice, which told the story of the 1980 Olympic hockey team. He also played Detective Don Flack on nine seasons of CSI New York. Retired football player Drew Brees is 45. Commentator Ben Shapiro is around 40 years old today. I really like his thought process, but his speaking style is still a bit grating. By last count, he still edges out this program for listeners. The United Nations deadline for Iraq to pull out of Kuwait expires in 1991. This opens the way for Operation Desert Storm. The question that could be asked is, why if we were so close to Baghdad during the first Gulf War, did we not take out Saddam Hussein? The answer is typical in such situations. The vacuum left would have allowed someone worse to enter the picture. It's a nice thought to say that the U.S. should only spend dollars at home and not be the force for good around the world. Unfortunately, folks have forgotten we tried very hard to not enter either of the two world wars, and the price was still high. There will always be one or more bad players in the world, and someone needs to be the force for good and reason. Sadly, very few other countries want to foot the bill. Wikipedia, the online encyclopedia, is launched in 2001. 2009, U.S. Airways Flight 1549 ditches in the Hudson River minutes after takeoff. The film version featuring Tom Hanks is a worthy discussion on the matter. The simple fact is a very skilled pilot made a very quick decision to land the stricken aircraft on the river when it was not possible to make it back to an airport. The outcome was never assured, just the best bad choice. I came across a lengthy article I wrote back in 2018, well before the podcast days. I have posted a copy of it on the History and Comment Facebook page. Check it out, and do not forget to like and follow that page, and please invite your friends. That's History and Comment for the 15th day of January. I'm Doug Terrell. Now, go do something worth remembering.